Hello and welcome to Risking Failure. This is Mark Dobson. I'm with my really good friend, Mick Dunn. And the way that this podcast came about, if you're not familiar with the backstory, is that mm, six months ago or more, my good friend Mick called me up and said, Mark, let's do a podcast. Me in America, being Mick, Mark Dobson in Australia, let's talk and let's have some honest conversations about growth so that people can be a fly on the wall and maybe navigate some of their own stuff. So we're here today with a big topic. Mick, how are you? Are you well, my friend? I'm good, mate. Yeah, really good. It's, uh, I'm getting sick of winter, though. Oh, I feel like a winter when I'm in Maine in this heavy snowstorm state, and uh, we just got pounded again. My wife keeps telling me to suck it up, but it's been a bit of a rough winter. I feel like it's validated. But you've got Australian blood, mate. It's hard. It's hard. We're not built for the snow. Yeah, you tell yourself you're an Aussie and you're tough. But well, we're tough in the heat. We're not tough in the cold. <laughs> I think there's some truth in that. But once it gets to this time of year when it's like into February and everybody's just done with winter, that's actually when I feel validated because that's when everybody else right. starts joining in. I say, see, I told you. <laughs> I told you it was hard. <laughs> I was onto this misery thing months ago. So I just got interviewed a couple of weeks ago, and my good friend Marty Groman runs a great podcast called The Grow Main Show. I heard that interview. I heard the one with you. Yeah, that was great. Yeah, and no, it was really good. And Marty did uh, a really good job of, of just kind of covering some of the discussion points of the fact that I was from Australia. But I almost felt a little guilty because in this freezing cold, and I'm thinking uh, sometimes I do think that Maine is not a place that human beings were supposed to populate. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, oh, my gosh. Jeez, mate. So it's just a really good testament to growing a podcast in a niche in in an area that people are interested in and building a a community around that. I think that's really great. It's been – he's actually been a real close friend of mine that we've been hanging out and talking about both growing a podcast together and kind of putting ourselves out there. So hello to Marty. I know you're listening, mate. Well – because there's going to be quite a few people listening that we have bumped into, I've got a little uh, game we're going to play at the end of the episode just based on who's listening and where we've come in contact with them. You want to hang in there, folks. It's going to be great. So it's the end. But the subject is getting kicked in the guts. And the reason that happened is because mm, a little while ago, without any specific details, I got kicked in the guts big time. Like I had got kicked in the guts in relationships, in work, in finances, in about 12 different things all at once. And when I say kicked in the guts, I mean the interaction that happened, it it hit me at an emotional level and I didn't have the emotion to function. Like I just felt so, so flat. Like an example is like, you know, when you get an email from someone and it's just angry and it's vicious and you can feel it and you can say, I'm just going to put that out of my mind, but you, you can't put it out of your mind. So I had that happened about 10 days ago more in a significant way. And I think it happens right through life. Everybody does. But it got me thinking, how do we navigate that? What, what are we meant to do? So what I did when I got kicked in the guts was I contacted Brad and I said, Brad, what do you do when you get kicked in the guts? So, because I started to realize I've got a notion where I, I almost pretty much just take the day off. I just take the day off and I pretty much just go to bed, not to sleep. I sort of just lay down because I've got the emotional or physical energy and I just switch off. But I also sort of make myself do something. I try to, you know, hmm. maybe be a little bit productive. We've talked about that before. Too. Have we? You know, like, yeah, no, not, not online, but we've talked about that. We've actually gone online to do an episode before where you were actually in a flat moment and we had to just sort of connect and just chat and then just record a different week. We talked about it in a really healthy way that, you know, just how differently we react to different things. Yeah, and I think everybody's got a different kryptonite. Everybody's got something that will set them off differently. And that's why I'm not in- even interested in going through the details of what kicks me or you or whoever we talk about in the guts because it's a different thing for everybody. How do you respond? So I called Brad or text Brad and said, what do you do? And he texts back, said, headphones in, 10K run, music pumping loud and reminding yourself and thinking through all the way the universe is conspiring to help you. And I text back going, how about a walk? Because <laughs> 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 I got what he meant and I loved it. It was really helpful. And I text back and goes, 
does that help you? He goes, I don't know. I've tried it. I've got nothing else, right? <laughs> because it is just fundamentally difficult. It's fundamentally difficult. And I try to work out, well, when is it okay? Like the way I always say to kids, if you get punched in the face and it hits you hard, you don't just pop up and sort of go, I'm okay. Don't worry. Cause you're not okay. You're smashed in the face. Your jaw's going to hurt for a long time and it takes you a while to get up. And with the emotional stuff though, because you can't see it, it's like you're just meant to keep going. I'm like, well, if I was sick, you know, they'd say, well, you know, don't work for three days and watch DVDs. Or if I had a broken foot, they'd be like, well, use crutches and then, you know, just sit down. Everybody be helping you. Oh, you've got a broken foot. Don't, I'll get that for you. But when you've been emotionally hit, what's the treatment? Like, what's the response? How do we nurture it? I still don't know. I don't know. So what do you reckon? I feel like the things that I've most often associated with recently seem to be in a professional world. I think that's probably common for a lot of people because you place a lot of emotional connection and pride around work and what you do. I get two things, right? So about sometime in November or something like that, we did a project and we had an issue on a project that wasn't really a massive one, but um, it was just enough. And we actually spotted it was just a problem that we saw when we were in the middle of, of doing something and we actually stopped what we're doing and we got all these different people involved and just had a kind of quick discussion about what the best path forward would be. There's a lot of different players involved. So we took action couple of months later, we were well done with the project and I get an email that was just a really professional find, just like, hey, we're having this issue and it needs to be corrected. The issue was something that had been raised and we'd been told to kind of keep going. It was kind of one of these hairy things of like, well, it's kind of not our issue because we talked about it and everybody agreed and all of a sudden nobody talked about it. And all of a sudden, nobody cared except that it's your problem you need to deal with it. And nobody was being spiteful or unprofessional. They were just sort of like, don't really remember what you're talking about. Just, just need to take care of it. We sort of were in this position where it was like I'd identified that we were the only people that could resolve it because everybody else was in a position of not really having the power to resolve it because they were all working for somebody else. So they all had to be accountable to somebody else, whereas I was the only person in the in the five different, four or five different people that was like had the power to just say, I'm just going to resolve it. That meant that was going to cost me money. So anyway, that's what we did, and we just resolved it and moved on. I was the whole time thinking, is this going to feel good when we're done? Like, am I going to feel good at the outcome when we just suck it up and we just take one for the team and we move on. And I wouldn't say it felt great, but it just it resolved it for me. So fast forward to this week and we had a separate thing happen that was the most minor thing, like I'm talking like somebody accidentally dropping a hammer on the ground. Um, and that's not what happened, but it would be the equivalent of somebody accidentally dropping a hammer on a tile and it breaks the tile. Well, I get a phone call from somebody. I'm in the middle of a meeting and I just picked up because I saw the location they were calling from and he just launched into the phone call with two minutes of screaming at me. I told this, I told that, I said this, I said that. And I just listened for a couple of minutes to the point where it got where I was actually smiling, thinking, I can't believe I'm in this conversation. And so I said... I understand, you know, I apologize. Um, all I can tell you is that you have my complete and undivided attention. And here's a couple of things I can think of we could do. And whatever happens, we're going to resolve it. I'm just unable to kind of talk this whole thing with you right now, but could you check into these things and get back to me? And all of a sudden he was like, oh, okay, yeah, that might work. Okay, well, go check that out and I'll get back to you. And it was all apologetic after that. 
on the first time, I felt like I had been kicked in the guts because I felt like I'd put ourselves out there and been uh, not so much the situation, right? But I, I guess more importantly, I carried that around for about six weeks. I'm not carrying this second conversation around with me right now. It's still an ongoing issue, but it's like because of the way it got handled to me, I don't feel the same way about it. Whereas the first one, I felt like there was trust and there was genuine good intent to do all of the right things on all different parties. And I felt really sort of like I couldn't stop running the tape in my brain over and over again of the situation and realized that the only way that I could resolve it was just to resolve it and move on, that it wasn't going to be healthy to try to like be defensive or argue about it. I like that language you said about the, with the tape running over and over. Cause I think that's what happens. You, you get kicked in the guts. And when I say that, I mean, you get negative energy sent at you. And somebody could deny it. They go, well, I didn't mean that. I was just being, I was just saying, I think I've got the right to say, but you can feel the intent, the mood that it was written with, or you can feel the mood in the phone call or in their absence, in their, they're not communicating this. And so that's what we're really talking about. And you get that, that yucky feeling on the receiving end of it. And what, what you said just then is right. It, it, you sets off a tape in your head where you go, oh, I'm not going to worry about this. But the truth is you can't stop processing it. And the tape, just goes around and around and it, it needs, I'm on two minds. I like what you said there, but one is you want to resolve it. So I say, if you're in a relationship and it's really unhealthy, at some stage it just feels better when you just go, look, this is, this is done. We're out, you know, and because it's done, it's like you said, you resolve the issue, but sometimes the tape, I'm wondering, it's like when you get punched in the face and get bruised, there's a time where that jaw will just heal. And I wonder if there's a time where the tape just plays out and it's done. But I also wonder sometimes to resolve it, it involves interacting with other parties and especially say in a breakup or in a client that just refuses to talk to you. When one party refuses to communicate, then I wonder what happens with the tape then because you end up needing to resolve it yourself, but you can't really because there's this weird space between you and your client or you and your customer or you and an ex or even a family member, whoever that, whoever's not coming to the party and I don't necessarily know how you get it resolved without their involvement. Like I've got some ideas, but you know, when we've talked about, about different topics in the past, like overwhelm, we really realized that the overwhelm, the heart of overwhelm, as soon as you contribute to someone else, the overwhelm, overwhelm disappears. That's new. I'd never heard that before. And also when we came with the other conversation, uh, who am I to do that? And that idea that, geez, we're all saying, who am I? And if we're saying, who am I, that's actually, potentially the direction you need to go. This is, these are like truths, if you like, that we're discovering in these conversations. I don't know that I know how to resolve something in a significant way without that communication. So how do you stop the tape? Like, not that you know, but they're the questions. Like, what do you think? I feel like that's been my biggest thing over the last few years is like, what will people think? What do other people think? I feel like I am pretty obsessive over... Not what do other people think, but I feel like I'm obsessive about making sure people understand my intention so that if things don't work out as they're supposed to, at least they understand my good intent. And I have genuinely found that most of the time that I'm in a relationship of some type or even part of a group where I'm unable to express that, or feel that when I do, I'm unable to be understood, which is still my responsibility. It's very difficult, really difficult. I know the Bible definitely says that, and I, I did study the different religions at different times, but I'm a bit rusty. <laughs> I'm rusty on all my different religions. You're going to hell. Yeah, no, I mean, I'm rusty. I mean, no, I mean, I'm rusty on my knowledge of all the different religions at the moment, but I, I, well, I did know some stuff at one stage. But, but it says that you know the truth sets you free. And it also says, seek first to understand, then to be understood. This understanding is just so crucial. Like I find in my life, I, if someone understands me and then they disagree, I'm like, oh, fair enough, But we, because we understand each other. When they don't understand, they just disagree. I just go, it doesn't feel fair or it doesn't feel good or it just feels unhealthy. It feels yuck. 
But it is very tricky in relationships when the other person, they get to a certain point of of the way they see you or the way they think it should be done or what you should have done, and they just conclude they stop at that point. They're happy to continue putting you in that box of a bad provider or a poor decision maker. And once they see you like that, it doesn't really matter what you do. I think there is some ways to navigate it, but generally speaking, it doesn't really matter what you do. They're going to see you through those eyes now. That's really tricky when, so for example, that guy that called you and he starts blasting you and you said those things, that sounds like a, you know, a smart and wise response. If someone had worded him up beforehand and said, by the way, this Mick Dunn guy, he's going to be really, he's going to sweet talk. He's going to be real smooth and uh, he's going to make out that he's helping. Just watch him. <laughs> You're stuffed at that point, right? Especially if somebody says, this other guy that's calling you, he flies off the handle and, you know, he's going to try to attack you. <laughs> <laughs> what, what do you mean? Like, cause- like, I'm just saying it could be perfectly reasonable that somebody will be on it at the end of my ear saying that to me, you know, like whatever, you know, it just – well, self-fulfilling prophecy, you know, just you. It is. It, yes, it is. It is. And this is where I think, well, there's two elements to this, right, Mick? There's just say somebody sees you as weak or needy or selfish or manipulative, right? Some things that don't feel very nice, they see like that. There's two elements going on here. There's one, we go, that's not fair. I'm not that person. And we can try to prove ourselves to the other. Now, I think that that is actually that's not actually authentic success. Authentic success is where you just are that person. You act that way. Perceived success is where I go, I'm going to try to get the other person to see me differently. And I don't think you can invest there. But the other issues going on is that we are also doing this in our lives to other people, but maybe in subtle ways. Like you have a conversation with somebody and they go, Oh, did you hear about so-and-so? And they give you just one piece of a story. And it's easy for us to start to go, Oh, really? And then start to invent and build a story. And in the process, not only are we doing it to them, but we're missing out on who they are. This is big. The whole thing is massive because I think that although people don't, we don't recognize it initially, these things, they're in us. They're happening all the time. And say, and really what it is, it's like a negative energy coming into you and then going, well, how long does it take me to clear this negative energy out? It's like you're the leaves. The leaves fall. How long does it take to get the leaves out? Sometimes we have a fight or a conflict, it happens. What we want to do is see, can I have it flow out? And we want that to happen as quickly as possible. And I've been working on that. But if we go back to the podcast I did right at the start of the year, and I said about the Tibetans say, you know, the most important thing is develop your capacity to love. These interactions are what the capacity to love is about. Because what we're really doing is we're receiving negative energy, but it's negative because of a whole lot of filters or way that we see the world or if you really love someone and they say something mean and you just love them, you just look at them and go, come on now, you don't mean that. And you can give them a big hug and and the like. There's other times when you're in a bad space and they say something mean and it hurts and you'll just slap them right back with whatever, you know, like with another comment or or more meanness. And so, when at the start of the year I said, you know, about developing a capacity to love, it's actually in these circumstances I'm talking about. How can we still love people when they won't communicate to us, when they are mean to us, when they blame us, where they point fingers, where they see us in a way that's not true? That's when I go, I've been working on my ability to navigate this. Is that I've been working on my ability to go, what would love do now if I was really just loved people and loved myself and, you know, what would it do? And I did have a great conversation with a client today and we were trying to work out some billing and it got bloody confusing for a whole lot of reasons. And at first it was awkward. I'm always like, well, what would love to now? And I'm trying to navigate it. We both was just fundamentally tricky. And she was really interesting. She said, afterwards, she said, Mark, there's only a few people I know that I've got one word to sum up that person. And she named a few people and what words. And she said, with you, it's love. Oh, my jaw hit the floor. It felt nice, to be honest, I, but it was very unexpected. But I was proud, and I didn't expect to say it in the podcast, and I, you know, that's one of the you know, challenges with doing these things is to, you start to be vulnerable in public and people can sort of filter your agenda. But I was proud because cause that's who I'm trying to be consistently, and I'm trying to handle it, and we just come out of a really tricky conversation. And at the end of it, she said, you know, I've always, you know, used the word love, and I'm like, 
knocked me for six and I, well, it meant a lot. But what I want okay, the people listening to go, if it's right, this is what I'm trying to work out is that the love doesn't apply to your good moments. It's born in the tough moments. And when I got knocked for six, you know, you knocked in the guts a few weeks ago now, and also I got knocked in the guts yesterday too because it happens all the time. It's just life. I'm still trying to go, geez, how do I have that energy hit me and then let it go in a way that's swift and powerful and effective and, to be honest, causes me less pain? I think it's worth creating a distinction a little bit because what I have in mind is something that would be maybe uh, closer to the word of like, it's not hatred stuff. It's more like heartbreak type stuff. Do you know what I mean? Like uh, the only reason I use the word heartbreak is because I just think when you're talking about this, what I'm thinking about is something that was had something built around trust and or some kind of level of respect or something, and that feels like that's what you're trying to retain. And so the difference for me with the two discussions that I had was that the first situation I was much more protective over what the outcome of this would do to my relationship with different people and companies that we do work with. And then in the second part, I found myself thinking the people that I know and trust in the relationships of this particular setup most likely don't hold a high value to the individual that's screaming at me right now. So I'm not going to place a high value on this interaction because I'm just going to trust it's going to change a little bit, and it kind of did. But I think that sometimes you can see that, Mick. Like it's you go, this is an irrational response or something. It's small, and you can rationally do that. Brene Brown said something interesting in an interview and she was talking about like valuing you know, what people say because you know she's a very public person does puts herself out there in a really big way and gets a lot of negative stuff like you know if I look like you I'd be writing stuff on shame and vulnerability too is like stuff she was talking about like just really like vengeful stuff and I don't think you really get over that but what she said was like unless you're showing up on a regular basis and I'm getting the emotional shit beat out of you. I'm not interested in what you have to say about my work. So she was meaning like, you know, unless I can see that you're out there putting your work into the world and having a really good hot crack at stuff. But I feel like that's a bit more the hatred stuff. Do you know what I mean? Whereas I know she does say that, but that's, that's a logical argument. She can say that logically, and we've all done that. No sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. My ass, they won't. Like, we can rationalize that. When someone's mean, it still hurts. It may not hurt as much as from somebody close, but it still hurts. Yeah, well, I totally agree with that. But I think you could probably eventually teach yourself to sort of move on from those things. Like, as you do, as you get older, and you realize that just the way that some people react or say things to you is just completely crazy you could be walking down the street and somebody yells something out from a car or anything like the older you get i think uh, over time you you know you start to realize that well you know there's more going on than just that like this so in that circumstances then when somebody yells at something from a car what we're saying is that we as we get older and i agree with you rationalize it so that when it happens although we still get hit because it doesn't feel good we just can let it that negative energy travel through our body quicker because we don't play the tape as long. It sort of go, oh, that was what a, that was a horrible person. And we talk about it for a bit and then we go, and then the next thing happens. But we don't actually say, oh, let's, let's get over it. Let's move on. We, we sort of just do get on. Yes. But if the person you're walking next to who you have lunch with every day and you have known for years says something, that tape plays for a while. And that, that's tough. That is really tough. And I think one of the other challenges that people have, we all have, is we make mistakes in our life and some people remember that mistake and they don't continue to know you over a long period of time so they don't realise that you grew through that. And we have things we say people never change because we've got a belief like that. We go, well, is that true? They may not change but they grow. Like a tree is always going to be like a maple tree but it grows to a 
pretty big one. And like I had a kid come to me years and he's, I've had like a, in my work, I've just heard a thousand of these stories from all different people, whether it be athletes or business owners or kids. But this, this kid said to me, she'd done something dumb at a party. She drunk, she did something dumb and she was now labeled with that action. And the kid was like 13 and she came up to me and she said, how do I get over this? Like, how do I be somebody that didn't do that thing? You know, for those people that are famous that have gone and made a mistake in public, they're always scarred with that. So they're trying to get a job or they're trying to move into a new area of their life or even move out of their industry. They're still scarred with that mistake. And when you're, if you're a public figure, there's more people who know about it. But this kid, I felt for her, and without going into the length of the discussion, you know, there's a couple things I recognized. One, it was always going to be inside her, a small circle. And people were probably going to say that when she's, you know, 50, those people will remember that still. But, you know, she had the opportunity to create other memories and do other things. And I said, like, if you become the dancer that you want to become or you become the, um, you, know, you know, become the artist or the, whatever it is and you do that, so, well, you know, you need to create something else for them to talk about. Now, there's more to it than that. But my point is that I think, I don't know, I'm wondering if all of us must have mistakes that we've made that we keep getting held accountable to, that keep coming around, and we just got to navigate them. Like, and I think maybe an only an older person gets that. Like, I know for me, when I turned 30 or about 30, 32 or something like that, I was, I was overseas and I saw a lot of people I hadn't seen before and it was the first time in my life I was experiencing old friendships, people that I'd known in my early 20s and I'd come back nearly 10 years later and – they just trusted me and knew me because we just we were as only young but old friends, and I think you can only experience old friends once you're older. And I'm wondering if you really only understand how you some things just carry right through your life once you're older. But everybody must be carrying these things. Do you think, Mick? Like mistakes and shame, and and then that makes them I don't know maybe more vulnerable or I don't know. Yeah, I, we've talked about off air before, but. I found living on the other side of the world, there's <laughs> ridiculous stuff I've created in my mind about people that, because I hadn't heard from people or talked or connected with people for years, there's a couple of people that I had constructed this bizarre thing of like, oh, they must just hate me or something. And then I started continuing to play that tape and then we'd actually connect with one another and it'd just be like... <laughs> The last time we connected, you know, it was just great. And I was like, I can't believe that I got to a position where I actually thought this person really was purposefully not talking to me. Really, that was it, you know. And I think we tend to do that because the space is this thing that you just start interpreting. What does it mean? What does it mean? What does it mean? The person hasn't called me back. The person is ignoring this or that or I'm not saying it doesn't mean anything, but and it's, it's like when you break up with someone, you see them again, you're not sure it's out and you think that they hate you and they don't really hate you. What there really is, is everybody's scared, I think. Scared that do you still like me or scared whether or not you can impact me or why that I don't want to be impacted. For the listeners, like Mick and I had a period of time where we just didn't really talk because we probably just didn't know where we stood with each other. Like, and life just changed, it moved. But then when you connected on a positive, Mick, and you were like, not that you would connect on a negative, but you were like, hey, we should do this podcast. I'm like, holy geez, that's a great way that our friendship can just keep going. I've had conversations with you about this stuff. I reckon the more that we can be the person that leads the goodwill, the more that we can be the person that says, that shoots them that Facebook message or that email and says, hey, we had a bloody good time when we were young or Oh, mate, I really miss you. I love you. I've spoken to you for ages. And we can just presume best intention, but we have to start that. But it takes courage because we're scared too. And I'm not saying that as advice as much as um, it's probably what I've learned and I'm here, you're doing it the same. And, and it's also got me thinking about what relationships I need to do that in because we're sort of talking about when you get kicked in the guts is too. There's, there's when somebody does it to you. There's when you're doing it to yourself and to other people because of your worldview. But there's also the short term and long term of that, like the one, you know, the conversation you had this week, but also that one that's lingering in the back of your head because you haven't spoken to someone for a while. And they're tricky. And if you don't manage them well, they just must really build up to be emotion and relationship restrictions in every direction. Uh, like I'll, I'll really work hard on clearing them out, but geez, it's hard. 
as I've gotten kicked in the guts, it was interesting when I text Brad and said, what do you do? A part of me probably thought it probably never happens to him. Probably. That's why I wanted to talk about this because people have got to know that it's happening to everyone. And we can't stop that happening just necessarily. Like I think there's some ways you can do to filter it. And I just think that's your capacity to love, love people. And, but I think that we can heal a lot of it for other people. We don't have to cause it to other people. We can just love the people around it. We can ease their load and we ease their load. We ease our load, you know, cause that day when I got kicked in the guts, I did, I just went for a walk and I listened to some music. And honestly, that walk was such hard effort. And I just came home and I just stared and I really didn't fully get at full speed for 10 days probably. And here's the thing, what happens is people hear that and then their instinct is to go, hey, you know, you're doing great or I love you and that's great, right? But my point about saying that stuff is not to go, oh, I'm weak, I'm hurt, I need help. My point to say that is to be vulnerable for other people. So I go, it happens, it's okay, you have the same experience as well, we all have it. That's why I wanted to talk about it. I just like, everybody must be having this but for different reasons. And that's why it's done even, we don't even need to talk about, like you mentioned the story about your work colleagues, but you know, we didn't even talk about what happened because it's, it's pretty much irrelevant because everybody will have a different way that it happens to them. But the emotional experience of being kicked in the guts and having to respond to it is the same. Yeah, I think so. I think it just perhaps is that distinction between when it's related to what I consider to be, it's a strong word, hatred, but, you know, something that's just somebody reacting to something in a really strong way that's offensive. I have found that that is actually a lot easier to deal with than somebody that understands you and holds an image of you professionally, emotionally, whatever capacity that's actually not a true reflection of how you hold the same thing. We know you never know someone else's life. That's why this is thou shalt not judge. It says don't presume to know. Not because, oh, you judge it wrong and you end up being miserable yourself. That's where the, the misery is not in like you're making someone else feel crap. You make yourself feel crap. So if I judge that your jeans are too short in the leg, then I get self-conscious every time I'll wear about wearing jeans or whether or not they're the right length. So when you say thou shalt not judge, we really, because you end up being a prisoner of that yourself. As we extend that, we never really understand all the complexities of someone's world. So I think you're right about that, Mick. Like someone can say, yeah, well, I know you and therefore <laughs> – and but they don't really know you. But I'm not saying you don't um, protect yourself from people who aren't managing themselves well, but geez, I think they do, but that's perhaps what's so difficult is that the further you know somebody, when you finally hit a place or a point where you don't know – I think that's all the more difficult to to be seen or to show or to work through because I don't know, I don't want to say baggage or whatever, but there's more stuff there to kind of push through. And it's sometimes easier to just not. But there's a belief system going on there. For me, in these types of situations, I feel like what I need to do is convey intention and what I feel like I'm battling is somebody's belief system or something that I feel like I'm. So you had said how somebody hears that when you talk about the pant leg or whatever, like as soon as somebody says that person's wearing a brown and a black shoe, you can hardly hear what they're saying anymore because you're just completely connected to, the, to that point that they're wearing a brown or a black shoe. And so until that person or somehow you have a conversation about the brown and the black shoe and they explain the context of that, it's pretty difficult to move on from that because that's just the guy with the brown and the black yeah. shoe. There's always two sides of the story. And, I, and once you know the other person's side, you bring it up, then it's like when someone's got like a Band-Aid on their face or what do you call it, a plaster in the States, I call them. Like, and, and you're like, oh, what's that there for? And if they just say, oh, I just had a little thing cut out, as soon as you know that, as soon as you hear their side of the story, you go, oh, that makes sense. Not that that excuses behavior because some behaviors cause a lot of pain, but you know, I think as soon as you understand, our job is to understand and, I, and it says seek first to understand not to be understood and i think that sometimes we make a mistake well i have oh, i wanting to be understood but really if i understand them first then i know what i would need to say to heal it that's a big point right there right because it's like you're running up to somebody at the point of interaction or you're just saying like 
I know I have a black and a brown shoe on and here's the reason. And they're like, what? I didn't even know you had a black and a brown shoe on. Like, <laughs> And that's the point that I feel like you hold on to. You just sit there and you hold that. Do they know? What are they thinking? I don't know. Should I just come out and let them know? Like, and, you know, we've had that on the most simple levels when you leave the house with, you know, something you shouldn't have. I've walked into meetings without a pen before. And I'm like, oh, my goodness, the first five minutes of the meeting, I'm like obsessing over how am I going to cover up the fact that I didn't even show up with a pen. And then I just say it. And it just, I don't know. It takes the heat out. You know what's scary, Mick, is if if, if we use a you know black and sh- brown shoe, for example, which I think we've all done that at some stage. Wore, oh come on, I'm, you know. I'm not that stupid. <laughs> <laughs> no, you wore a you wore a leather shoe and a sneaker, which is harder to do. But you know what? Like if if you go to a say a social function and you are wearing something a bit self conscious about, it's easy just to go, oh, you know, I should have got dressed up and. You know, like, oh, I can't believe I'm wearing this. I'm sorry. I've got this mark on it. And we apologize for all these things. And we don't even know if the other person's judging that. But we say it because we're worried about it. But how much scarier is it to say to the other person before we say anything, what do you think of me? If we ask that question, then they may never mention the shirt or the mark or the shoes. They might say something else. And the truth would actually set us free because we don't have to worry about the shirt. They might actually say out of the blue, they're going, oh, I've just found you pretty obnoxious, but I love your shirt. (laughs) And what I've found in my interactions is developing my capacity to listen. As I've been listening back to the podcast with you and I talking, I realize sometimes I don't listen to you. I think I am, but I'm not. It's interesting also stepping right back and actually just having to listen when I listen back to them. And there's courage in listening. There's courage in letting the other person have their say because they may say something that you don't want to hear. Yeah, that, that's fair enough. That's a pretty good call, I think, you know, because you just don't do it in a, a rounded way like that. But you're right. In a professional sense, it's very specific. How am I doing at this thing that I do, you know, as a, as a runner or a swimmer or in the work environment? You're talking usually about a presentation or a project or, you know, a proposal. But, yeah, you're probably right. In a personal sense, it's a little bit more like – checking in with your loved one and saying, are we connected enough? Are we, you know, do we need to like, yeah, let's like try to make some space and some time to hang out. Imagine saying, how have I been as a husband lately? Or how have I been as a lover? Or how's my breath been? (laughs) That's pretty open and vulnerable, right? And then letting them just go, well, actually, that's all fine, but the other day at dinner you said this and it really upset me. You know, how, how do you be open to that? You know, is that how we respond to being kicked in the guts? I don't know. I think that's about our evolution. I think those are two different topics, to be quite honest. And I, I don't know, it's like it, I think it's, it's probably too over-analytical to say, oh, you know, it's how you maintain a relationship or whatever. I mean, it, yeah, it is. and But it's you know what I mean? It, it's just nature of the conversation, really. But I think it's just interesting about how we get – scared and we invent how we are seen because we're just basically trying to get beloved and we just basically hope that people will like us so we try to cut things off at the pass and in the process we invent the way they we invent their intent we invent their personality we're on the other side of the world we haven't spoken through a while we invent we just invent why somebody did something we hear that they did something and we invent that and then we go and respond in a certain way that and i think when you receive that someone's invented you or they've concluded something and it hasn't involved you even when we break up when you break up with someone you decide you know i'm not going to speak to you anymore you know you can feel that intent and it, it hurts like it, i think we've got to realize that every human interaction we have separate to the words separate to the action we can feel the intent behind those generally you know i think there's some subtleties in that but when I got kicked in the guts the other day, geez, you know, I, I just didn't know how to respond. I was trying to forgive myself and just go, Mark, just wait it out. You know, it'll be okay. And But it's a bit little like you're sick and you've got a broken foot or something. You, they go, don't exercise. And you go, it's all right, I can, I can walk to the kitchen and put a kettle on. And you, you're trying to do something while do nothing. I was definitely trying to do something while do nothing. Yeah, I know what you mean. It, it, it's, there's too much of a human element in that stuff. Like I remember seeing something online at some some article, somebody I didn't even read it. I just read the headline and it's that's stupid. And it was something to the effect of like 
stop caring what other people think. <laughs> I know. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's like, cool. that's ridiculous. Oh, like, I haven't thought about that before. Leave your baggage at the door. Don't bring your problems <laughs> yeah. to work. Oh, <laughs> really? And so I was like, that's just, you know, that's, that's unhelpful for me. So we're just human. So it's more constructive for me to think about how to hold on to some of those things and how to work with them. Well, how to love. I really think it comes back to this how to love. Like when you look at your mum and dad, you don't go, geez, if they were an inch taller, I'd be able to love them more, you know, because it's not important. But then we go, oh, but if they had have done this, I would love them more. And you go, hang on a second. Like I always say about your dog, your dog doesn't care what how much money you made. It just loves you. And I also think when these people are mean to us, or not even if they're mean, they're, sometimes they're reflecting back. They're going, you hurt me or you impacted me. And and we started the process, not to blame them, but going, geez, I, I really maybe need to say sorry or I maybe need to listen. But I think all those things are a subsidiary of love. Like what would love do? Like now, love, sometimes love would go, I'm sorry, I will listen. Sometimes love says, uh, I forgive you or I won't. Oh, love says, you know what, I'm just going to give you space. Like love does a whole lot of different things and it's a bit cheesy, but I really – and leaning towards more and more as they get older, got to develop our capacity to love in any circumstance because it, it cuts through the crap. Like that, that's the kind of stuff that I'm talking about, like just these little things where even it could be the smallest interaction or relationship with somebody, but just knowing that, that there's something out there that's not quite in balance is possessive. Now, in Star Wars, there's a lot of interesting <laughs> awareness. I know, I know, I know every time I say that, but really they talk about the Darth Vader was meant to bring, meant to bring balance to the Force. You know, we're good and bad. Yet he, they thought he was a good guy and he's going to balance it, but he became a bad guy. In the process of becoming a bad guy, he destroys the Emperor. He finds love in his heart for his son again, and the Force is actually balanced. I often think that there is a balancing going on. Like if I punch you, you don't really feel at ease, and well, I don't feel at ease until you've punched me back, and then we go, all right, fair, 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 fair. I think in many relationships, sometimes we – one person will run away before it's balanced and resolved and fair and because someone's trying to win and they'll tell a story. I think we've got to be careful every time we tell a story actually about a situation because we can tell a story to try to make ourselves sound right. But I think more accurate to go, well, how are you feeling about where that's at? You know, like the your feeling that you've got about that situation, if you're honest, is much more an indication of the truth than the story that you tell yourself and the people around you about where it's at. How did Luke feel about his father? He just loved him, Mick. <laughs> he just loved him. And, he, and his father loved him. Back. So you wanted to send out some love to some people you know or something? What was he okay. going <laughs> All right. So, folks, this is as promised. I have an idea. So I was out in a town, Marupna. It's about an hour out of Bendigo. It's about three hours from Melbourne. I do a presentation to a school. I asked for some water afterwards. I said, I just got to fill up my water bottle before I drive home. Now, I've been doing so many presentations, Mick, two or three a day. It's been epic. And the driving between, it's huge. So I'm out in the middle of nowhere. Like, it's the middle of nowhere. Coming home in the dark is a pain in the butt because there's kangaroos shooting across the road and they give you a fright every damn time. They're probably pretty scared too, actually. But <laughs> So anyway, I said, can I have some water? And this guy goes, yeah, look, I'll show you where it is. And so we go at the back, he goes, I've been meaning to catch her. He said, I listened to your podcast on one of the hundred. <laughs> now, anybody who's been listening to back podcasts, we had an episode where we realized there's a hundred people consistently listening. And I was like, wow, you are in, you know, everybody, we're in the hundred, you're in the community. This guy goes, I'm in the hundred. I'm one of the hundred. And I'm like, that's awesome. Now, we're in the middle of nowhere. And I was like, how did you find it? And he said, oh, just looking for something, you know, inspiring and uplifting. And I remembered he'd heard me speak at a conference about 12 years ago. And I don't know how, he must have remembered my name. And just so, you know, he said, like, he was looking for it or either recognized the name when he went on iTunes. He said, I listened, I'm going for a walk so I'm getting myself healthy. I've been trimming down. And his name's Craig. And I was like, I was stoked. And the Craig will be listening to this. Oh, I was just so wrapped. I thought, how, how cool is that? I said to him, but the thing is, there's more than 100 now. Like I was looking through the stats, Mick, and I would say it looks like there's consistently about 250 people listening now. And I thought, all right, I've got an idea. Here's what we do in Australia with the Australian cricket team. When you become a member of the Australian cricket team, you get a baggy green cap and a bit of uniform, but you also get a number. The number tells you 
what number player you are to have represented Australia at Test Match Cricket. It's cool, right, that you get a number. And I was like, what if all our listeners got a number? So when we hear that someone's listening, then they go onto the list and we go, we, we know you are number whatever. So before we got on air today, I told Mick, start writing down all the people you know have listened to the show. And I wrote down the ones I think have that I know of. And I realized, like, really, if we gave numbers, you'd get number one, Mick, because you started it. And then I'd get number two because I'm involved. (laughs) All right? So you get number one, I get number two. And then after that, we go, well, who was the first person to listen? I thought, well, there's some people that we asked for advice, but I think that's different because there's people who are listeners, and that's different than people who are in a peer group listening and helping us think it through. So the first person I thought of, well, after that was James. Yeah, I was thinking the same thing. He was the very first person to reach out. Yep. Right. So then, so I've got James down as number three. Now, you might have someone else, so you can throw it in, but I've got Jason. He's an old, old friend of mine, Jason. And Jason, he's a classic guy where, if you still listen to this episode, we had a bloody good time as kids, but we had a lot of distance apart. And, you know, I didn't know where Jason and I were at. And just that he'd listened meant heaps. And that I, he'd cook value in it was awesome. So I put it, I had him as number four. And then I had another girl, Jessica, who I worked at, at Interlochen with too, as number five. So, but you'd also have some in there as well. And I've got to keep, I've got a few here. So why don't you give me your first few and then we can work out whatever numbers are later, but we'll just keep it running on the webpage, I think. <laughs> All right. I've got, well, James as well. I've got Damien, an old uh, neighbour of mine, who's met you as well through swimming. Yeah, so I'm going to put him down for I'm going to put him down for six. Then I got Janesh. Yep. Now I reckon who lived, listened before Janesh that I knew of that I knew of was a guy called Travis. And Trav knows you well. Trav will know who he is, and so he's going down for seven. So Janesh is going down for eight. Yep. Keep going. Um, actually, a little shuffled up from that, but sort of somebody that yeah that I mentioned earlier, Marty. Who yeah, I guess you could say he's one of the people that you're bouncing stuff off of, but. Yes, he'd be pretty far up there too. All right, well, let's put him in the nine. We're sorry if we don't get everybody right, but yeah, yeah, go, go on nine. You got someone else? Because I've got a few others. i got my friend Georgia. She's a regular listener, and she says that sometimes she's listening, and she's like, oh, my God, I just want to call you, Dobbo, and just go, are you crazy? And she goes, then I realized that you're not actually on the conversation right now. You could well be in bed. <laughs> <laughs> so, Georgia, is it is it 10? Have you got another name? Um, Sean. Oh, yeah, Sean. Let's put Sean in at number uh, 11. Yep. Who else have we got? Damon. Damon? Has Damon listened to us? I got to believe so because he's on the um, Facebook page. Really? Yeah. That's awesome. All right. And I know some of you people are listening to this and you don't know these people, but you can be part of this. You can get your name on this damn list. So if we keep going, Monique loves it. She's a regular listener, good friend. Um, and psychologist, great friend. She comes in at 13. Have you got another name? Tom, yeah. Tom is 14. Mary Louise, you're coming in at 15. Beck Parsons, you're coming in at 16. Got another one? I'm all out, mate. All right, I've got Craig. Craig in Marutna. That is one of the 100. <laughs> I'm going to put you down. You get a number. You are number 17 that we know of as a listener. Now, we know there's 250 plus, even of some episodes as well in excess, or it's pushing 400 of some episodes, but it's consistently about 250 plus. Struddy, you've just gone down at number 18. About 10 years ago, Struddy's like, you got to get onto these podcast, Dobson. They're incredible. I was like, what's a podcast? <laughs> How do I do it? It sounds so hard. Does my Nokia do it? And back then, my Nokia... <laughs> Had sticky tape holding it together. Strati's on it. You're at 18. So I don't know if who the other people are, but it's begun. So we'll keep. We'll build a spreadsheet. We will keep a list. And as a listener, just get in touch. You can do it a whole lot of different ways. You can you can leave a message on uh, iTunes, which really helps us because it just pushes up the ranking so we can reach more people. Or you can just shoot us an email. You can sign up on the webpage on uh, riskingfailure.com. And for the record, it is the ugliest webpage on the planet and we know it is we're working on it but the first goal was to get the webpage up and going and we know it's ugly okay we're trying mick's not a graphic designer 
he, he's just doing it as most affordably as he can and he's doing great. But if you want to check out an ugly website, go and do that. Send us a note <laughs> and send us a note and we'll, we'll get you a number. We'll get you a number. So, Thanks for the kick in the guts, mate. No, Mick, you did a great job. <laughs> I know I'm not helping enough with this project. Yeah, no, no, it's all right. I'll, I'll just kind of rearrange this story in my mind for the next week until we next talk and just try to convince myself I am a valuable person. But Mate, you are valuable. You <laughs> are valuable. I don't know how to say it in a way that is still sincere, but you are. Well, you, the other place you can do this is on Facebook. You can uh, just – I think you can just hit like. I actually – got to admit I don't exactly know how all of that works yet, but I – What, do, Facebook? Oh, I don't know how it works, but – I just don't know whether you subscribe or you like to a page, but I I know that we've got 20 folks following or liking something that we've done. Because yeah, I thought yeah, it was just you and me at one stage there. You liked it and I liked it. We're like, oh, <laughs> we've got two followers. Who are they? <laughs> Some guy called <laughs> Some guy called Mark. They're our names. Oh, that guy's an administrator too. Yeah, well, we've got 18 names down and we're looking for more. Um, we're looking for new topics, people. And Mick, as I've listened back, though, in, in all sincerity, I am just getting, and I mean this in sincerity, you are saying wise things that I am not getting the first time. And listening back, it is so awesome to have somebody who thinks, you know, sometimes I hear myself speaking and go, Mark, that's just bordering on wrong. <laughs> and then I hear you put that in, I feel lucky Mick put that in, it brought balance to the force. <laughs> I am your father. <laughs> So, well, I've been saying these things for years, Dubbo. It's just I'm glad you're finally listening. <laughs> yeah, maybe I'm deaf in one ear as well. <laughs> Mate, it's always a pleasure. I love it. So this has been a long one, but I've enjoyed it a lot. So thank you. Yeah, we'll uh, look forward to talking to you again next week, mate. All right, chat to you later, mate. See you, bye. Yeah, cheers. You've been listening to Risking Failure. To join the community and access more free content, news and updates, subscribe at riskingfailure.com.